So I mean, I I gotta start with the tattoo. I can't I can't ignore what I was. Well, I feel victim. I feel like I fell victim to a tattoo last night. <laughs> it was it was scary, man. <laughs> I mean, Ezekiel Elliott. I gotta be honest. You know, the the idea that you are so confident that you're gonna keep your body in good enough shape for the rest of your life to have feed me tattooed largely on your on your complete stomach. Is a it, that is the bold strategy of the week, right? Yeah, I was gonna say we should have saved that for our bold strategy segment. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> astounding that tattoo. But you know what? I, I gotta say, maybe that's like if you're one of those people who's like in your early to mid twenties right now, and you and you're rocking a six pack, and you want a six pack for the rest of your life, tattoo something ridiculous on your stomach because that'll force you. To continue to work out. It's the only it's the only thing I could think of. I'm a little disappointed because all these years, Sean T has been telling me it's all about cardio and all of these other things. No, the motivating factor, my friend, is the tattoo. That's all you <laughs> need. So, it's Just so tattoo bad. and you're good to go. It's so bad, Dan. It's so bad. he's got to really like live up to this decision because you know did he just not have a family member or a friend to consult before making this decision there was clearly no one in his corner uh, and they better keep feeding him at this point does anyone care about this man no someone does anyone love ezekiel elliott does he have a friend Someone please stop. I mean, it's too late now, but uh, hopefully they keep feeding him at this point because that Dallas offense looked bad. All right. Welcome into the football lounge. That was a good way to segue into the show here. Some Zeke Elliott tattoo talk. Of course, week one displaying, putting it on full display there for the world to see. Like you mentioned, Mark, now he's, um, you know, they got to feed him. Because, uh, you know, he told them he told them to. It's it's on display every day in practice. It's out there. Uh, he's got to get the rock. We'll talk more about the co- Cowboys uh, coming up in a little bit. But uh, week one is in the books. It's Monday, September 14th. It's exciting to say. Well, not fully in the books, I, I should say. We got two games here tonight on a Monday night. But, you know, we, we had the Thursday night game. But there's nothing quite like enjoying some Sunday football. Full slate of Sunday football. You just can't beat it. You know, they say when your team wins, you go to bed and you're happy. You know, you want to know, you're going to sleep. Well, I got to be honest, uh, I treated my body not like a temple yesterday. And uh, the uh, the amount of Miller Lite mixed with the amount of Panda Express, it kept me up all night. Uh, but I was okay to be up all night because I was smiling through the stomach pains and the, uh, the need to chug water at like 2 in the morning uh, to be able to work on time this morning. Just so much excitement. That's what Sunday football does to you. You got it. Like my body is not in midseason form. I, I didn't have a preseason of chugging Miller Lights yeah, exactly. and eating and eating a, an absurd amount of Chinese food late at night, watching football. And you don't have a stomach tattoo. No, so. I, I certainly do not. Uh, but uh, but it was great. It really was a Sunday uh, that was filled with. Uh, let me just say this. Can I can I say this? I want to give a massive shout out personally to so many of the NFL players, coaches. And the NFL all all over to uh, how they handled the Sunday with the social justice movements, uh, the demonstrations. Shout out to any and everyone who felt the need to uh, make a demonstration. And if they didn't, I hopefully hopefully they stood by that decision. They came to it on their own. Uh, anyone who's uh, anyone who is strong enough and bold enough to make a, a stand or a statement, uh, I personally support them and kudos to them. And I thought everything was very tastefully done. There wasn't anything that I saw across the league that I had any issues with at all. Uh, so I'm proud to be a fan of this NFL, and uh, that's just where I stand on it. And, uh, you know, Matt Stafford started it off. I saw him take that knee right away, and I thought, you know what? Today's a historic day. It's an important day, and uh, uh, it was a uh, it was a really nice to see all around different teams doing different things and uh, speaking some honesty and some truth. And uh, it's just the world we live in right now, and I'm proud to be a fan of this NFL. 
I echo those sentiments entirely, and uh, it was respectful across the board, even if, you know, we experienced, you know, some fans at the Kansas City game, uh, not necessarily uh, going about it the right way. But look, the players, the organizations have done a a great job, and uh, absolutely, I applaud them for that. Uh, As we kind of get into uh, our opening act, where we break down kind of the big takeaways from week one, Uh, We'll start with, uh, you know, I mentioned it's September 14th, and hopefully this will be something that we'll be able to carry on throughout the NFL season. We'll do an On This Day in Football History. Uh, So on this day, September 14th, back in 1986, Walter Payton, sweetness himself, reached 15,000 career rushing yards in a 177-yard rushing performance against the Philadelphia Eagles. He also scored his 100th rushing touchdown, so quite a day for Walter Payton. The Bears won that game 13 to nothing. September 14th, 1986, a little bit of history there to get you going here on the Football Lounge. Ah, Bears, I'll say this about uh, about uh, my guy Sweetness. You know, for all of the career accomplishments, and he, to me, is the best running back in NFL history. I know a lot, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, you, I'm happy to have those arguments with anyone, and uh and I would I'd happily stand my ground with with sweetness and all three of them. I think it's an it's a tough conversation to have to break that down. But uh, from all accounts, and it's sad that I you know didn't get to see him play really in my lifetime. Uh, but at all accounts, there's a reason why it's the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Uh, all Hall of Fame player, absolute Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame guy and person and human being and what he embodied. All I can say is this, Dan. I just hope that in 10 years from now, we'll be looking back and saying, hey, September 13th, 2020, the day that we started Mitchell Trubisky's comebacks, comeback, heroic comeback story. There you go. One can only that's what I'm. That's what I'm all in for. <laughs> for sure, yeah. One day, one day he'll be that gold bust in Canton, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> hey, he's from Ohio. He's an dream. Ohio kid. There you go. Return home. Yes. Why not? <laughs> Good stuff there. All right. Well, you know, as we get into our opening act here, obviously, you know, week one is almost uh, entirely finished here. We have um, several games uh, to kind of parse through. So I'll go over some of the upsets. These are, you know, Vegas odds upsets. Uh, There were six of them uh, that happened uh, yesterday. And then uh, we'll kind of just, you know, get some initial thoughts on the games in general. So uh, the upsets are as follows. Washington defeated Philadelphia 27-17. They're eight sacks on Carson Wentz. Packers beat the Vikings 43-34. Surprising that they were underdogs to begin with, or at least, uh, you know, as big of underdogs. I believe it was three points. I'll have to double-check that. Jaguars beat the Colts 27-20. Cardinals beat the 49ers 24-20. Rams on top of the Cowboys 20-17. And the Bears beating the Lions 27-23 in comeback fashion. So those were the six upsets there. Any major takeaways uh, from these games, Mark, or any other games that you know weren't mentioned there? Well, I'm going to start by patting myself on the back. I called that Washington game at the end of the podcast last week. And, you did. and to me, that was like you could see it coming from a mile away, riding high in emotions. And now we're getting this, uh, you know, we in Chicagoland, we have the lore now of the Jason Hayward rain delay speech for the Cubs to then go on and win the world series. <laughs> right. You're now getting the Dwayne Haskin moment. The, the Dwayne Haskins halftime speech as Ron Rivera was getting an IV as he's battling cancer and kudos to Washington for coming out in the second half and their defensive line dominated that game. Chase young looked like the right pick at number two for them. He really did does. He's already making plays. I again, the Philly offensive line is going to be a storyline all year because this is a team otherwise that has the talents, in my opinion, I pick them, I still feel this way, to have a long, long season and head deep into the postseason and win that division. Um, but that that defensive line showed up. They they won that game. They out they uh, they dominated in the, in the trenches in the second half. Carson Wentz, as you mentioned, on his back eight times. I do want to say um, the Aaron Rodgers revenge tour appears to be full in full attack and full, uh, you know, uh, swing here already early Uh, with the Vikings game. I had the Vikings winning that game, um, but the Vikings are clearly showing you that the new offensive coordinator and the new staff there, they are under full influence from Mike Zimmer. Kirk Cousins only throws it five times in the first half when you're down 
at home. I mean, this is a Vikings team that is going to uh, get, if they can't get out of their own way and they have to play football like football needs to be played in 2020, Thielen had a nice game. Uh, but they they have got to get ahead of people so then they can run the clock and run the ball. You cannot and you cannot just dig your heels in and just only uh, run the ball in 2020 in the NFL. It's just not the way it works. Uh, and uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, he continues his streak of being really bad against winning teams. I think he's something in the regular season like six and twenty something against winning teams in the regular season. It's a bad stat and it's bad on Kirk Cousins. Uh, the other things I want to mention about these uh, this slate of games is we're kind of rifling through them here. Uh, kudos to the Arizona Cardinals. I feel a little vindicated already knowing that I said that the Niners could take a step back. I think you can already see it. Again, coaching staff talking about what they feel about their quarterback. Where was Jimmy Garoppolo? Jimmy Garoppolo didn't put the ball in his hands a ton. They didn't seem to trust him. I thought a lack of creativity from the Shanahan offense and Kyler Murray taking a step. The legs, he had 100 yards rushing, would have, but he took some knees at the end of the game. Uh, But he looked great rushing the ball. Uh, The upset, obviously, the Bears-Lions, I predicted that. Didn't think that it would happen the way it did. That's for sure. Uh, We'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the show. But uh, I I want to give Matt Nagy credit for committing to the running game for not uh, not just uh, airing it out uh, way too much, and a credit to Mitchell Trubisky for um, showing up when it's the most important for a quarterback to show up. If I were to give you the options, would you have, have your quarterback be really, really great for the first three quarters and terrible in the fourth and lose the game, or really, really bad for three quarters but amazing in the fourth and win a game? I think we'd all take the fourth quarter uh, as when you want your quarterback to be really good. Those are my biggest takeaways. I, I'm not too worried yet about Philly. Kudos to Washington. Saw that coming from a mile away. And then as far as, the the to me, the absolute biggest upset is the Jaguars actually winning a game. And now can the Jaguars sustain it? And again, shout out to Garner Menchu. Uh, that kid has got stones. I mean, that's the only way to put it. He looked great. And we're going to talk Garner Menchu later on the show, so I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away now. But uh, the, the Phillip Rivers experiment already in Indianapolis, if I'm a Colts fan, I'm not happy with. I'm not happy with, and this is uh, this is one of those things where I'm glad it's only a year-long deal uh, because uh, this is clearly going to be a roller coaster, as most Bill Rivers seasons have been for the past couple years especially. Yeah, that was a concerning one. That kind of stuck out to me big time as well. I mean, the Colts were a team that I kind of had on that playoff bubble, and then you know here we are losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars in week one. That's a terrible way to start. I think the uh, writing's on the wall for the Dallas Cowboys here. I think – um, you know, they, they are who we thought they were as, uh, Denny Green, uh, famously said, and it's, you know, the talent they have on offense is unmistakable and the, uh, you know, quality of defenders they have on the defensive side of the ball, unmistakable, but what they have continued to show is that they've lacked an identity when, it, when it comes to game script, when it comes to actual rhythm you can never really understand what their goal is as a team. Sometimes they'll go to Zeke early. Sometimes they'll want to force the pass. I'm not exactly sure who the Cowboys are. And I'm not saying the Rams are a bad team. It wasn't like, oh, man, this was just such a bad loss. But it, it, it did show to me that the Cowboys, who they should have won this game. They, they were expected to win this game. And obviously – you have issue with some of what Mike McCarthy did in terms of his play calling and decision making, um, you know, not to go for the chip in, things like that, uh, that really come back to bite you. But, you know, Jason Garrett, you know, he was somewhat of the scapegoat of why the, this team couldn't put put it together for the past few years. His offensive play calling, despite being an offensive guy, just wasn't uh, innovative enough to kind of get them over the hump in games. And then you bring in Mike McCarthy, who's pass heavy guy with that type of approach. You want him to kind of be able to, to switch things around. But, uh, you know, as you and I were talking earlier, he keeps Kellen Moore and the offense just, you know, nothing surprising there. And, you know, this is where, where it, it, it gets them into a 17 point out, outing three points in the second half post adjustments. There is some concern here in Dallas, in my opinion, and while I would say for a lot of things after one game, we can't take too much away, uh, good or bad, 
this is certainly not uh, a good footing to, to start the season off on here with the Dallas Cowboys. That concerns me a lot. I agree with you with the Colts. Phillip Rivers uh, looked good early in the game. As it wore on, the Colts in general looked worse and worse. They lose Marlon Mack for an extended period of time. Likely the season, a torn Achilles there. The run game kind of takes a hit unless Jonathan Taylor, you know, can stay healthy and be the guy that they drafted him to be. But early warning signs there for them. Uh, I, I also had the Bears beating the Lions. I wasn't super shocked there. I was shocked at Philadelphia losing to Washington. I thought that despite the issues on the offensive line, they would be able to put something together. But rough start there for Philadelphia. I agree that I'm not going to panic too much because I think that I just think Carson Wentz is that good. And I think Doug Peterson is that good of a coach to where they'll be able to overcome some things throughout the season. But, you know, I had them in there as winning the division. And with Dallas losing, that certainly helps their case. But it might be a little bit closer of a fight here down the stretch than I even anticipated early on. Um, but that's kind of where where I'll leave things on my week one takes. Uh, anything else before we move on? Yeah, before we move on uh, to our, uh, uh, our uh, bold strategy, Cotton, I want to just say this. You mentioned the Cowboys. I didn't, I didn't mention the Cowboys. And part of it is I – I had full faith the Rams were going to win that game. I made money on the Rams winning that game. I uh, I I said it last week. The Cowboys to me are the Cowboys, we, and, and and they they have so much offensive talent. You saw so many things. How many times do we watch football from Thursday night's game, especially through yesterday? We we're like, wow, that's special. Kyler Murray looked special. Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson, I'm about to talk about. There was moments like, holy smokes, that's special. I even Alvin done, Kamara. Alvin Kamara. Yep. Talk about a special player. And there were moments from other games where you see, and other quarterbacks especially, where you say, there's something special there. You didn't see a lot of special from Sam Darnold. You didn't see a lot of special from Baker Mayfield. And you're not seeing, and you just have never seen anything special from Dak Prescott. And I'm sorry, but when you have that much talent, and that good of an offensive line, even if your coaching is bland, which I agree the coaching offensively is bland, you were up 14-13 to start the second half with the ball. Listen to these drives. Punt, punt, field goal, downs, punt. And then people, all they want to talk about is the pass interference call on the final right. play. But if you go punt, punt, downs, punt, I don't want to hear anything about a pass interference call. And you know what? I was okay with the call because they made the call in the field. I, I Again, when the replay showed, really, there wasn't really a ton there. But if you make the call in the field and the replay's not conclusive, whatever. You don't lose, You also got away with hitting Jared Goff in the face and why he threw a pick. So those you always those calls always you, – you get 10 good calls a year that go in your team's favor. You get 10 bad calls a year go against your team. Those those football gods always seem to work out unless you're the Saints. So I don't want to I don't want to uh, <laughs> right. I don't want to spend too much more time on it. But already Dallas is falling into exactly what I predicted. They're going to be not that special. They're going to be eight and eight, and I think Dak is on his way out because they're not going to get rid of McCarthy. They've now committed to him, and uh, I, I just think that you cannot do that if you're the Dallas Cowboys this early on. Where's the creativity? Where's the special? I didn't see it. There's a reason that long-term contract hasn't come his way yet, yeah. and, and I think that's the, the, the writing's on the wall there for sure. Um, and and one last thing I will mention because you kind of you, you sparked this in me too. I did want to mention the Patriots' offense with Cam Newton. I think it looked uh, very proficient um, or, or prolific, I should say. And you know, Cam looked pretty good. I mean, he's in shape. He was running the ball really well, and I was pleasantly surprised at how. Uh, the Patriots were willing to completely shift to his uh, capabilities. Um, you know, I know that they're a team that has constantly game planned as to their strengths and their weaknesses. They've always done that well, but I did have some hesitation as to if it was going to be a complete overhaul, but they showed, Hey, we're going to dial up plenty of quarterback runs and we're going to give him the freedom to just, hey, man, if you're rolling out, nothing's there. You run for the first down. Go get it that way. He showed that he was, uh, you know, capable of doing that. He showed that he's still, you know, athletic enough 
to make a lot of these plays. And look, I mean, it seemed uh, just from his rapport on the sidelines with Josh McDaniels that there's some uh, quality relationship there. I think things, you know, might work out for the Patriots. I still don't have them uh, in the playoffs. I have them right outside of it. But look, I'll admit uh, they look pretty good. And just even though it was against the Miami Dolphins, I, I may, you know, be eating my words by the end of the season. Uh, they may very well be a playoff team. Uh, just based on how they looked this past week. But I'm going to give it a few more weeks till I make a, a more well-rounded assessment of where this team is at. But so far, so good in New England. Artie, can't wait for next Sunday night, uh, uh, Patriots versus Seahawks. Can't wait. Big-time matchup. Cannot wait for that. Um, you know, Speaking of the Patriots, we'll go to a former New England Patriot and Tom Brady for our Bold Strategy Cotton segment, quote of the week. Exciting stuff here. We'll go to Tampa Bay, but it's not Tom Brady's statement that we're going to talk about here. It's the head coach, Bruce Arians. So, uh, you know, a quick thing to set it up. Tom Brady finished the afternoon 22 of 26 for 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions as the Buccaneers fell to the Saints 34 to 23 on the road. Per NFL Network's Michael Giardi, he said this on Twitter, Arians put both interceptions on Brady, said that on the first one that Mike Evans read the coverage right, but Brady did not. And then on the pick six that he had, Arians' response was, quote, bad decision. So, Mark, what do we make of these statements from Bruce Arians? Already calling out the 43-year-old quarterback. Obviously, he's not new to that coming from New England where Bill Belichick uh, it's hard to get a compliment from the man, but nonetheless, already in game one, calling out the, the starting quarterback there to start things off. I think it's a bold strategy in the sense that he gave some context with the first interception and there was no context with the second. I also think it's a bold strategy to call out Tom this early because there were some other things that he as the head coach of that football team they were not buttoned up. I mean, you give up first off, hey, you give up 34 points when all I've been hearing about is, oh, it's the defense that's going to be really good for um, for Tampa Bay to start. And I get it. He's the offensive coach, and he trusts in Todd Bowles a lot. But your special teams were bad. It were really, really bad. And I just think this is one of those losses where we're going to forget about it in a couple in a couple weeks from now because I do think Tampa Bay is going to get rolling. I do think they'll find their groove offensively. So I do think it's a little bold to be that aggressive with Tom early and just saying, bad decision, move on. Um, but I think Tom also has to get used to this. And he, of course he's used to his coach being critical. What I mean is he's got to get used to Tampa Bay not being buttoned up. You trade buttoned up and no weapons in a first-class organization for unbuttoned up and a ton of weapons. And I also think there's a little bit I, – I hate to say this, but – it had a little bit of a Browns feel to it, the the Tampa Bay offense, where it's like the Browns, I, I could spend, honestly, 20 minutes trashing the Browns today. I'm not going to because, again, I want to wait and see, and that is a great team that they lost to in Baltimore. But it seemed a little like you're trying to force feed Mike Evans, like like Baker Mayfield force feeds, you know, uh, 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 Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., three catches, th 33 yards, on like 10 targets. There, there's a little yeah. bit of a force-feeding feel to it, and it also feels like, ah, yeah, Tampa, I mean, Tampa was great in that first drive. Nine plays, 50, eight, 85 yards, four minutes, 53 seconds off the clock, and a touchdown. But then you get off the script, and it seemed like they just lost a lot of their confidence, their focus, and their in their connection. Uh, I will say this. I'm not going to panic with Tampa Bay, mainly because... I think New Orleans was also beatable. I really do think New Orleans looked pretty beatable. I think Tampa Bay shot themselves in the foot. And New Orleans, uh, with as bad as Atlanta looked defensively, and Carolina defensively was a mess at home against a Raiders offense. That's good, but not brilliant. That this division, if Tampa Bay can get rolling here out of division, I certainly think I'm not worried about them the next time they play New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans did not look great. Drew Brees' arm looked not great when it's like you're supposed to have all this rest. 18 of 31, only 160 yards. There were times when I kept thinking to myself, Taysom Hill looks better running this offense right now. So I don't want to panic, but I do think it's bold for Arians to go straight at Tom as opposed to, hey, turn the magnifying glass back on yourself. 
you guys were really bad on special teams and your defense didn't play well. You weren't buttoned up to start this season. They had plenty of issues to go around. I, I will say it, it is bold and it's not at the same time because um, with a quarterback like Tom Brady, yeah, he he respects when people are being honest. And I think if anyone knows that that was Tom Brady's fault, it's Tom Brady. Uh, and and he knows that those picks are on him, especially that first one. There was, you know, uh, people talk about miscommunication and things like that. But Mike Evans correctly cut off the route and settled into the open zone instead of uh, going uh, with the post uh, into double coverage and into, you know, the, the deep safety over there who eventually ended up picking it off. So he made the right decision there. And then the other one was just, you know, it was a bad throw and. Uh, you know, bad decision on the out route that just got undercut and taken to the house for six. Um, but I will say, look, that New Orleans is a very good team, a team that a lot of people uh, like I personally have going to the Super Bowl or at least competing for it uh, in the conference championship. So uh, this is no slouch that they lost to. And it was a close competitive game. I'm not worried about Tampa Bay just yet. But look, you know, a few weeks from now, we can talk again and kind of see uh, if these issues with Tom Brady uh, getting accustomed to a new offense, a new system, new players uh, is continuing. But as of right now, it's one game. He looked good at moments. So I'm going to reserve uh, complete judgment until we get more look. But, uh, you know, so far, uh, a couple bad throws uh, can really change a game. And while there were a lot of other issues, uh, that definitely doesn't help. And you compound on it. And, you know, maybe they would have had a chance to actually win that game had the pick six not happened and had, you know, you not – throwing a bad pick uh, intended for Mike Evans. Final point on this game, because I know we got, we're got we moving on to stuff and we're not going to get back to it, is I do want to say this. The running game needs to be better for Tampa Bay. Tom needs a run game to succeed at this stage of his career. And Leonard Fournette, like five carries, five yards, APB out for Leonard Fournette. And I will finally say this. That was the highest rated TV event since the Super Bowl that game how so, about that so anyone wow. saying that oh well, i'm not watching football because they take knees yeah uh people love their football it's not working it's not working you're fake new you are fake news with your like oh, i shared this story <laughs> i saw this post going around today of like it was uh players like uh taking a knee from a couple years ago because you could tell because there were fans in the stands behind them yeah and people sharing like this is what happened on sunday it's like come on fake news get out of here the NFL is strong. I loved what the NFL did on Sunday, and uh, and highest rating. I get it. I couldn't take my eyes off that game. It was fascinating to watch. Oh yeah, no, I'm I I will gladly uh, soak up the ratings for them. You know, I, I don't yes. think they'll be missed. So <laughs> we're we're all good on that front. Um, okay, well, so after we got a little bit of a recap there and got to uh, you know talk about some choice words of Bruce Arians, we'll move into our headliner uh, of the week here on the Football Lounge. Uh, Mark and I, now as we get into the season, are kind of going to delve into one main topic that was a primary takeaway uh, of that week that we would like to talk about. So obviously here with week one of the NFL season, we each picked a topic of our own to discuss, a headline um, that we think should be something that, uh, you know, kind of deserves a little bit more um, fleshing out and, and kind of a deeper dive into. So, Mark, I'll give you the floor with your main topic of the week here, your headline. Take it away. All right, Mark's headline is, Welcome aboard the Russell Wilson MVP train. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. Tickets are available. Uh, there are seats on the train. Get on now because you don't want to be left at the station looking like a total loser when Russell Wilson wins the MVP. In all seriousness, Dan, this is a real thing. Russell Wilson has never received even an MVP vote in his career. That is criminal. A vote. Now, I get it. There's a lot of great players in the NFL. But Russell Wilson has and, and Patrick Mahomes have separated themselves as the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, in my opinion. And it's not even close. I mean, I really think Lamar Jackson is close. I think I want to see a little bit more from Lamar, uh, see how the rest of the season goes and how Lamar does in the playoffs. But we have proven – Playoff and regular season success year after year up now with Mahomes and especially Wilson. And let me just say this. Russell Wilson is now with his 30,056 yards passing and 4,022 rushing yards in his nine-year career as he enters year nine. He now joins Steve Young, Hall of Famer Steve Young, as the only players in NFL history 
with at least 30,000 career pass yards and 4,000 rushing yards. To go even further in on Russell Wilson, yesterday against Atlanta on the road, traveling from the West Coast to an early East Eastern time zone game, was 31 of 35, 322 yards, four touchdowns with a passer rating of 143. And listen to this. If you didn't watch this game, which I did not, and I watched, I rewatched all the highlights of it, this game was close. At the end of the second quarter, going to halftime, Seattle was only up 14-12. to 12. Russell Wilson gets the ball to start the third quarter after making adjustments, and what does he do? 10 plays, 75 yards, takes 5 minutes and 19 seconds off the clock, and they lead it to a touchdown drive to take a 21-12 lead. Uh, Atlanta gets the ball. They fumble it. What does Russell Wilson do? Five yards, 36 plays, quick score, two minutes off the clock, basically. And now they'll send they're up 28-12. So midway through the third quarter, doubles their own score, gets them into a comfortable position to go on and add a, two more touchdowns later on in the game. Dominant performance from Russell Wilson. Uh, when his rushing attack, 20 yards, uh, 20 carries for 80 yards, he actually led his team in rushing as well. And I'm okay with this because the Seattle offensive line is not great. It's not great. So their rushing attack is going to have to be against, uh, it's going to be very specific, and it's going to have to be uh, more creative than what it has been in the past. And I will say this on behalf of Russell Wilson as well. Russell Wilson is a guy that is the ultimate competitor, team guy. I know he's weird off the field. He's got an Andrew Luck-type personality where you don't really want him doing FaceTime videos and things like that because it's awkward, it's bad, and he's not a commercial guy because he's got a weird personality. Let's just be honest. So I, But this is getting to the point now where it's almost embarrassing. Russell Wilson has been so good for the past couple of years, Seattle's finally, the hashtag was rolling, let Russell cook, he's cooking. And the fact that he hasn't gotten an MVP vote, even a vote, is, is I think, an embarrassment to the NFL writers, the people who vote for the NFL MVP. And I think this is a momentum thing now. You're seeing the hashtag trending. I'm going to drive this train. More people are on it. My guy Colin Cowherd is, has been on Russell Wilson for, uh, for years and really opened my eyes to the greatness of Russell Wilson and I will say this, it, it feels a lot like the NBA. The NBA, the MVP writers, I mean, they like to just find the storyline, right? LeBron James is still the best player in the NBA. He's been the best player. He's proving now year 17. He hasn't won an MVP in seven years. It's a joke. I could argue the Durant and the two Curry MVPs. All right, I'm okay with those. But Russ, Harden, and back-to-back Giannis's, uh, Giannis last year, sure, he's going to win it again this year, which, uh, you know, all things considered, weird year, I still would have given it to LeBron. LeBron James uh, is getting this kind of crowning achievement. And Russell Wilson, it will be an absolute disaster and a shame if he continues to play like this and put the Seahawks in a position to be a one seed or a top tier or win their division. He should win the MVP behind that terrible offensive line, behind the overall general lack of weapons as far as guys that you would say – are, you know, all pro talents or pro bowl type talents. Metcalf's fun. Lockett is good. Greg Olson's past his prime. Carson and uh, and Hyde are nothing to write home about in the running back positions. So I'm on the Russell Wilson MVP train. Let's get him an MVP. It's a shame that Drew, uh, Drew Brees doesn't have one. It would be a real shame if Russell Wilson plays this well all season long and doesn't get one. I know it's going to be hard to not give it to Patrick Mahomes and not to give it to uh, to a, a Lamar Jackson if they keep putting up stats and it looks like they're going to. But you know what? NFL writers and the people who vote on the MVPs, Patrick Mahomes is going to win five or six of these puppies. He's, he's Peyton Manning. He's going to have prolific MVP-like regular seasons. So give Russ his one now. Russell Wilson would and already, in my opinion, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Add that MVP. I'm on the Russell Wilson MVP bandwagon. And if you uh, listen to this podcast, get ready for it as I'm driving this train all season long. You know, everyone loves some drama, but I don't think there's going to be much of a clash here between us. I I, I 100% agree. Russell Wilson's been uh, criminally underappreciated in the football world for years now. 
and few, if any, have done more with less than him. Everyone wants to talk about the Legion of Boom, and obviously he benefited from having a phenomenal defense when he was in his younger years. But it's been quite some time, and the Seahawks have still remained in the playoff and Super Bowl contention conversation he hasn't for missed years the playoffs. after year. He hasn't missed yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. And it's and, and you're and, right. It has been at least four years since the defense carried that team. And so at least and, at least and the running game hasn't really carried the team much either rem- in re- especially in like 3 years. Remember, you know? he won that Super Bowl in 2013. It is 2020 and we're still talking about the Seahawks being relevant purely because of Russell Wilson. And and uh, and I I'm glad that you agree and I'm and I and I again I you have to be honest with yourself as as just remove some fandom and you say besides Patrick Mahomes there really is not a quarterback that I would want for the next eight years. There's not. Right now, I would want Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. That's it. And Russell Wilson has been, in my opinion, the, the in the top three of quarterbacks each of the last five years and is certainly, I would argue, in the top three. You could make the argument for one. I still think Patrick's number one, but – but he's there, and we need to appreciate him more. He's on. He's the so far the MVP of the league, and I'm going to keep driving that. All right, Dan, you're up. And he he did what he did. Uh, you know, he didn't have the benefit of sitting a year behind an Alex Smith no! either. Right? I, he went right into it. All right, he had Matt Flynn, but you know <laughs> that's yeah, that's uh, a far cry. Um, okay, yeah. So for my headline of the week, and it, this one is going to be a little bit broader of a topic. I'm going to branch out a little bit on this one and kind of speak a little bit more generally on a topic that um, I've been thinking about for several months now with all of this COVID situation and things going on like that. So I'm sure things will be more specific as the season goes on. But for this one, I want to talk and bring attention to the tale of the undrafted underdog because we hear all the time. You t- you mentioned the, the NBA loves great stories. Great storylines are kind of a part of who we are as, as a human race and uh, especially in America, we just love the underdog story and things like that. There is no better example of that than in undrafted players in the NFL that come to fruition and become Hall of Famers or Hall of Very Goods. And I'll get to the kind of the list of some prominent undrafted players uh, in a moment. But yesterday, we had a player set an NFL record. He went into the history books as an undrafted rookie free agent from a little FCS, FCS school, my alma mater, Illinois State, a former Redbird, Mr. James Robinson of the Jacksonville Jaguars, got the start because of the Leonard Fournette trade, was put in there as the, you know, the two down back, and he was even put in there in, in three down situations as well. James Robinson, though, became the first undrafted player to rush for more he'd rushed for the most yards by an undrafted player in week one in NFL history uh, no no one had ever done that as a rookie 62 yards on 16 carries so he didn't blow the lid off of the NFL all right but he rushed for 62 yards he also added uh, a highlight reel 28 yard catch in which he hurdled a defender that is something really cool to see out of an undrafted guy who barely had a shot at making an NFL practice squad let alone setting a record in week one of the NFL season. Kudos to James Robinson. He's from Rockford Lutheran and, you know, a little bit. So this one's a little bit close to my heart because I got my start in the Rockford uh, television market as a a news reporter there. But I got to cover sports during the football season. Uh, That's kind of just the smaller market thing. You you pull everyone from every department uh, to go out and shoot Friday night football. He went to a, a small class 1A school, Rockford Lutheran. And I remember my sports director telling me when he sent me out to the game, he's like, you should probably be there for maybe five minutes because uh, you're going to be there for one drive and you're going to get plenty of highlights from this guy named James Robinson. And he was correct. The guy averaged somewhere. It, it was insane. He averaged like 20 yards a carry his senior year. I mean, the, he, he was untackleable. Uh, he holds the IHSA all-time uh, rushing record at 9,045 yards in high school, 158 touchdowns 
in his career there. So you could tell how great he is. He had he set records at, at Illinois State. He's their second all-time leading rusher. So I just wanted to give that shameless plug there for for him because um you know I've been rooting for him for several years now and you know it's happy to see him get his due there. But that kind of brings me to my broader point about the undrafted players in general. Undrafted players have it extremely difficult because in the NBA when you're in college and you're in you're a superstar obviously there's two rounds you're getting drafted if you're good right and then very rarely do people get to actually edge their way into that starting lineup so which is why anyone in the NBA that comes uh, undrafted it's remarkable uh in Major League Baseball, it's a little more common. You do have some guys, even though they have deeper uh, draft classes, there are guys that fly under the radar, and there are so many you know things that are moved around due to injuries and things like that, where baseball rosters get shifted all the time, and guys uh, go through those um, the ranks where they can actually develop. In the NFL, you don't really have the benefit of going to a developmental league. You don't have the summer league. You don't have... Uh, a G League. You don't have double A, single A. You have preseason, and that's it. And this year, they didn't have a preseason. Undrafted players were at the biggest disadvantage this year than they've ever been in the history of the NFL. And yet, 33 undrafted players made it onto 53-man rosters. That just goes to show you that uh, scouting is important, and you know, kudos to these scouts for picking them regardless you know just because they were undrafted doesn't mean people didn't scout them and see potential they just said we'll get them after the draft um so for these you know scouts to be able to pick these guys kudos to them for that and kudos to these players for working hard and beating all of the odds in the most you know downtrodden year for an undrafted player 33 of them to be able to make the roster very impressive there and not only make the roster but James Robinson to crack that starting lineup make NFL history, and actually perform well. A 90 all-purpose yards, uh, and and he helped kind of provide a spark there for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, Gardner Minshew was the big topic of the day, and deservedly so, but you know, Robinson, give him all the credit here. He may very well carve himself out a starting role for the rest of the season if things go in, in, in their favor, and if he keeps producing, he may be the next undrafted guy to enter into that conversation of being, you know, uh, a great fantasy football player, but also a great NFL player as well. Um, just another tidbit here about undrafted players. They make up roughly 30% of the NFL. A, that's a staggering It's statistic. incredible. That is a, that is a chunk. That, that is a sizable chunk of the NFL. That That's about 500 players. And there are about between 16 and 1,700 players in the NFL. Um. So it's just impressive when you, when you talk about the pedigree of some of these guys too. So I'm going to list off a few of these guys who are undrafted players who are either Hall of Famers or in the Hall of Very Good. You've got Wes Welker, Marion Motley going way back oh, into the yeah. 40s and 50s. Uh, you know, he, he was undrafted and ended up being a, a stud for nine years in the NFL. Chris Harris, uh, shut down corner if, if we've ever seen one and a current guy. Priest Holmes. James Harrison, Adam Vinatieri, uh, Tony Romo, Warren Moon, Kurt Warner, Antonio Gates, and uh, Dick Night Train Lane as well with a little bit of a throwback there too. So you can see the, the NFL's had a history of having undrafted guys coming into the mold and actually carving out roles for themselves and being actual game-breaking talent. It's impressive, and I'm really, you know, happy to see undrafted guys in the year of COVID stepping up and making headlines. However small of a contribution it may be, uh, the fact they set a record, uh, it's still impressive. Yeah, I, I want to respond to two things of uh, from your headline that I love. First off, A, just goes to show you how badly the Jaguars are trying to lose. They got undrafted <laughs> yes. rookie running back starting at their, you know what I mean? Like it's in, and even more kudos to Gardner Menchu and that team and Doug Marone. He's a guy you're, you're expected to just get canned at the end of the year and they start fresh for them to win that game. Uh, I mean, it, it, it really impressive. It makes it even, it puts it in more context. And I'd also say the undrafted player is one of those uh, in the NFL. It's such a special thing. 
Because you're right, it is so r- more rare in the NBA for an undrafted guy to make an impact. But you got to remember, there's only seven rounds of the draft in the NFL, and there are 53-man rosters. So you can't just build completely through the draft. You have to scout. You've got to know about that Division One AA running back from Illinois. You've got to know about these things, and that's what does make the NFL more fascinating. And it's also why the NFL has always been and will always be that next-man-up mentality about that. And the NFL is is star-driven for sure, but it is more of a unique culture compared to the NBA and the other and the other leagues. And I thought that was and fascinating. Work ethic, work yeah. ethic. You could argue is rewarded more in the NFL than in a any million other percent, league as well. Million percent, because in yeah. the in the NBA you can be the hardest working guy like a Jimmy Butler, and he's and he talk about a late first round pick who's earned himself into like an arguably a top ten player, but you still are gonna you you could outwork people, but there's still a God given thing with NBA talent versus NFL yeah. talent. In a, in a, and, and largely that's because you only have. Uh, so much room yeah, on a roster for that, on right? There's exactly, only exactly right. Yeah, there are fewer players in the league in general, so there, there's that statement to be made. Um, but yeah, I, across the board, there are there are tens of thousands more college football players than there are college basketball players in the world, and even fewer of those football players actually make it yeah. into the league. And, so and seeing it, week it, one, it just shows how important that is. Week one in the year of COVID, I think that's a great first headline, Dan, for sure. Yeah, and you know, it's. Uh, I I just felt that it was it was a fitting time to bring it up, given the uh, the the historic moment and the historic nature of of Robinson doing this. So I, I'm definitely a James Robinson fan, and I did stash him in a couple fantasy nice. leagues just in case. <laughs> so so I I hope that I can uh, benefit off of that for for weeks to come. Um, that has been our our headliner. Uh, here on the football lounge. So next up, uh, we kind of ask ourselves the what if question. And this week, Mark, we'll stick with the Jaguars. A lot of Jaguars talk today, but hey, for good reason, they've earned it. What if Gardner Minshew puts together an impressive season, continues uh, performing the way we saw flashes last year and then the, uh, that we saw yesterday, but they still end up getting the first pick? So the wins don't translate, but Gardner Minshew is still impressing in his play. What happens there? What do the Jaguars do? Do they still take Trevor Lawrence? Do they field trade offers and get three quality picks to build around Minshew? Uh, you know, what say you? I think this is the easiest what if we've done so far because the way you've set it up. If he plays really well, but if you see the the if where they have the first pick, it doesn't matter. Whoever has the first pick, whatever team has the first pick, will draft Trevor Lawrence. He is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. I mean this he is yeah. he is he is everything to write home about. He is what are we talking about earlier with Dak who's not you don't see the special. You see the special with Trevor Lawrence. Um so in that scenario, yes, of course they draft Trevor Lawrence and I think Gardner Minshew is the type of guy that is going to be thrilled to have a job in the NFL. He's going to be happy to be around and he makes very little money right now on a late round salary uh you know and I think he's a great guy to have in the quarterback room with Trevor Lawrence. And if you're Garner Menchu, uh, you, you eventually can say to yourself, I think what we're seeing with Garner Menchu, he is the next generation Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is on the way out. There is very little magic left in the Fitz magic, as we saw in that Dolphins uh, loss. Garner Menchu's now that guy. He is the guy that is going to be the great locker room guy, the ultimate team player who will play for probably five or six teams and will be the filler bounce guy for a year or two and that you want and is going to end up having a 10-year, 12-year career. And good for him. He's making a name for himself in that regard. Uh, I just – because the the only way this changes is if, if he plays really well and if they don't have the first pick. If they end up 6-10 and – I still think then they maybe try to trade for the first pick. I don't know who's going to give up Trevor Lawrence unless, uh, you know, I I don't know, unless it is the Bengals and they're committed to Burrow. Um, But uh, I could see them also still taking a Justin Fields then. This and this team is committed to we're starting fresh. Minshew's fun. He's going to sell gear. He's going to sell memorabilia. He's going to, you know, uh, be a fun little ratings draw and and create a little drama. But 
yeah, it's an easy what if. Whatever team has number one pick is drafting uh, uh, the uh, Trevor Lawrence. So if it's the Jags, if they have the number one pick, they're still going to draft Trevor Lawrence. See, I, I'm not totally convinced that whoever has the number one pick is going to draft Trevor Lawrence because I think they would they will field offers, and if there's a, a if there's a good enough offer on the table, then they'll move down two spots. If there's a if there's a Ryan Pace Chicago Bears trading for Mitch Trubisky to move up one spot type of situation uh, with with several first-rounders and second-rounders and, and a player thrown into the mix or something like that, I could very well see uh, people fielding that. I would agree with you if you're the Jaguars. You ought to take Trevor Lawrence, all right, because Gardner Minshew is now Trevor Lawrence. And you got even if you're not, you know, obviously you never know how, how things are going to pan out with any player. But this is about as, as sure of a bet as you can get. Uh, coming into the league. Uh, that being said, and knowing the Jaguars and how the organization has run itself for several years, I have no idea what they would actually do. I could very, I would not be shocked if the Jaguars were like, you know what, we're going to ride it out with Minshew and we'll take th- two first rounders and three second rounders uh, to trade down a few spots and whoever wants to take, uh, you know, Trevor can take them. I think it'll be interesting. I think, nonetheless, what we can basically lock in is that Minshew, if he has um, a quality performance uh, week in and week out this season, he's going to do enough to help his stock oh, yeah. regardless. He's going to so stick in this he'll, league he'll, for sure. And you're right. I shouldn't yeah. say whoever has number one is going to draft Lawrence. Lawrence is going number one. That's the what I'm meaning Correct. to say. Yeah, okay. Is I see that, what you're saying. Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm a million percent. I will be. A, I will bet a million bucks. Uh, I'm a hundred percent confident that if the Jags, the uh, Washington Football Team, the Jets, the Bears, the Lions, there's a lot of teams that I can say if they have number one, they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. The, the the team, the only team that I can see would get number one. Yeah, but you got to be careful there. Like the Lions owe Matt Stafford a lot of money. I don't know. Too. He's only so got one like, more you know. year left in that big deal. So you could sit him behind Matt. Fair you enough. Could sit him behind. Right. You could trade. There's the old. Yeah. There's only. There's very little teams. The Browns. They're drafting Lawrence. There's very little teams that that would draft number one overall and not draft Lawrence to where they trade out. And I think that would be the Bengals because you got to look at what are the teams they're not going to maybe win. All I'm games. saying is, man, you never. You never know until someone sweetens the pot. You know, sometimes people can't. It would have to be gargantuan enough, and for the yeah. and for them to still feel like they could get Justin Fields or the kid from North Dakota right. State. Yeah, okay, but right, I think right, the right. Jags would take Lawrence number one. That would just be my guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What else we got? And, and I think they should. I I would agree with that they that they should do totally. It. Uh, whoever whoever has the opportunity, take that opportunity. Agreed. Uh, I don't care what the situation is, but um, yeah. So as we wrap up the show, Mark, um, let's give a, a quick uh, fantasy football advice. Is there is there any player or maybe a couple players that that you're wanting to target uh, going into this next week on the waiver wire? Um, I, I'll start actually with with a couple picks because I, I think there are some good opportunities. Uh, I mentioned James Robinson, and I actually think that that is a, a really good option. Uh, he scored nine points. Uh, in my half PPR league, nine point five points, that's not terrible. That's pretty solid. No, and uh, that's a that's a first week outing against a, a good defense in in the Colts. So uh, once he goes gets a, some more favorable matchups, and as the season matures, uh, he may see uh, several more touches. And you know he's shown receiving capability as well. That's a good one. Uh, the Colts backfield, Naeem Hines, who was you know third in the pecking order. And had some PPR value. Now he has even more PPR value. Obviously, he had a great, great game. Uh, I don't foresee that really happening going forward. But I do think he'll have value now being the number two guy instead of the number three guy. Um, So as far as running backs go, I think that. And then finally, I'll say Emmanuel Sanders. Look, people weren't necessarily sure how he was going to fare in a crowded receiving core in New Orleans. But look, he's going to be a big safety net there. And Michael Thomas... Got hurt. He may be playing through some injuries and may be out a couple games. Emmanuel Sanders uh, might make some huge plays. So if he's available there, I would go pick him up. Yeah, I love all of that. I will just uh, the only player I'd add is uh, is uh, Brown, the running back, Malcolm Brown for the Los Angeles Rams. 
he clearly, to me, carved out like they they leaned on him, especially in the red zone, and he ran hard. I mean, he looked like the best running back in that crowded backfield. Uh, he's available in my league as a 10-team .5 PPR league, so he may be available in yours as well. Adrian Peterson is available in my league. He looked like he had good legs against the Bears, a good rush defense. Um, so I would say uh, for those two guys, and if you're if you're someone whose tight end got injured, uh, speaking of uh, of uh, of uh, Barwin in the in the uh, you know the for the depth for Blake Jarwin Jarwin yeah, yeah. for the Cowboys, uh, Goddard is available in my league. Uh, he had a big day, bigger than Ertz, who I started. Uh, O.J. Howard is available in my league, and O.J. Howard seemed to have done well compared to Gronk, and was we were kind of looking at where that yep. was going to go. So that would be that would be uh, my uh, my look at the the fantasy there, which I didn't have a great week uh, because my uh, my uh, you know my the guys who you rely on they didn't they didn't produce, but it's all right. It's week one. They, that's all right. You know, there's there's plenty Austin of time. Austin Eckler didn't show up. Forward. Austin Eckler didn't show up. <laughs> He's, he did not. Yeah, he, he had a rough game. I'm already man, calling but, for uh, Herbert you know. just to hopefully get Austin Eckler going. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm in four leagues this year. I'm, I'm spreading myself thin. Oh, um, I'm a one league. Guy. I have a shot to go three and one, uh, and an outside shot to go four and zero. Oh, but we'll see. I, I also had Michael Thomas in a league, and and I'm really, really concerned uh, about his high ankle sprain yeah. that just came out today. So we'll we'll kind of see what what goes on with that. We're, I know we're coming towards here. the end of the show. We want to do a little Monday night preview. Uh, did you have anything else on tap, or can I or can I do a Bears rant here real quick? Take it away, dude. Okay. Take your soapbox. Again, this is the Mark soapbox. Time. I don't want to. Sp- I don't want to turn this into just a bear show, and that's why we, we, you know, we're focusing on other things. And I do think the most important thing this week was the Russell Wilson story. I'll say this because a lot of people, and you saw the national media. I watched halftime of the Bears Lions. Strahan and um, and uh, Tony Gonzalez like you got to put in Nick Foles. You got to put in Nick Foles. I pinned the tweet. I I put the damn tweet on my on my Twitter. And I want to read you the exact date and the exact time I tweeted this. And I'm staying, this will stay pinned to my Twitter. And it was on uh, January, February, March. March 18th, 2020. I said, I want it on record now. I'm anti-Nick Foles trade for fourth round pick. I will pin this tweet. And I left it there. <laughs> yeah, I actually remember seeing that now. Yeah. And and I said it strongly then on my show on my on my radio station, and I will say it strongly here on this podcast. This is the bigger deal of why I didn't want Foles. Because again, Foles does not unless Foles came in and legitimately beat Mitch out and looked amazing, you're like, oh my God, this guy's gonna lead us to a Super Bowl, which that clearly didn't happen, right? That didn't yeah, if he happen. He couldn't win the job. It was yeah. a fair competition. That didn't happen. So now all you're doing is giving the stupid talking heads and the dumb football guys ammunition for at halftime at week one to start clamoring for the backup <laughs> quarterback. It's, it's insane. Like, this is exactly what I said in March. You're it's happening. Like, this is a bad move for that reason. And I said it back then, and I stand by it. You either dumped Mitch then, and you go completely all in on other guys. Get me Cam Newton. Get me who, you know what I mean? Go all in on other guys. Or you don't bring in a Foles or Dalton-type backup quarterback because this is now the plague of the Bears for the whole season. It took one half. And thank you to Mitchell Trubisky for showing up in the fourth quarter. The Bears have massive problems on offense. You cannot be 0 for 8 on third downs to start a football game against a, a decent football game. Because even the Lions, I mean, they put they they did enough damage. They should have won that game. All it took was one little extra score, and the Lions would have won that game. They dug a big hole against even an average football team. Can't be bad on, on third down. But that is why I was anti the Foles. You see it now. You get all the talking heads, the pundits. It's an easy thing to say. Oh, you just put in Nick Foles. No, 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 no. That derails the season so quick. And this Bears season now, the Giants, look at the Bears. Next week, we're not going to be on, you're not going to hear from us again until next Monday. I want to look ahead. You get the Giants on a short week, and the Giants, I expect to be embarrassed on national TV against a very good Steelers team. They're going to have to deal with that. And I think what you're going to see is a bad coaching debut from Judge. 
And then you got a short week to be, like they're already derailing. So I'm I'm I've been anti full since day one. That's when he traded for him. I've been anti full since day one. I'm still anti fools because he couldn't beat Mitch, and now I gotta deal with the backup quarterback questions every 10 seconds. So I'm just saying, you know where I've stood on this, and I'll die on this hill. You got worked up at the wrong time, and we're just about to end, and now the juice comes flowing. I'm just I'm ready <laughs> I totally to die get on that it hill. though. I get it. I get it, man, and I and I agree. Put it I in the teaser in the comment if, section of the podcast. Mention. Save it for minute fifty-eight for Mark <laughs> to lose his cool. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and and honestly, the amount of money that they they're spending Again. on uh, foals as well. That's, Beating a dead if horse. If you wanted to, Beating if you wanted horse. to push, if you want to push Mitch, they could have drafted a seventh-round quarterback just to be like, look, there's a rookie quarterback <sighs> on your heels, you know, whatever. But uh, nonetheless. Look, he got the win. Mitch gets another yeah. start. And, uh, you know, if he can start stacking Feeling some good. wins, then Foles will dissipate into the, uh, you know, into the far corner, hopefully. Hopefully. But we'll, we'll what see. Did we uh, say? You know, what did we say? The Bears those first four weeks. All of a sudden, this Colts team looks more beatable. That Atlanta defense looked bad. So, if they're just as yep, bad as, yep. like, I, you know, all of a sudden. So, anyways, let's do a quick Monday night preview right. here to wrap up Monday night show. football. Yeah, we got a we got a doubleheader coming up tonight. Um, so first game, Steelers at the New York Giants. Steelers with a minus six Vegas odds here. They get a six point advantage. Are you taking that? Uh, what What are your thoughts on on how that'll play out? You know, six points is not um, it's not a small number, but at the same time, uh, and especially for a road team, um, but. I'm feeling pretty confident in this one. Big Ben's return. He's got a chip on his shoulder. This defense is lights out good. And the New York Giants defense does not scare me outside of the front four. So uh, I, I think that the Steelers have a field day. I think they can win by by double digits in this. Yeah, game. I'm totally taking Pittsburgh and swallowing the points. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Mark Hespin. I'll be tweeting at that. I always give my DraftKings uh, sportsbook uh, bet of the week. I No joke, Dan. I downloaded DraftKings Sportsbook last Monday on on Labor Day, and because sports gambling is legal in Illinois now, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put twenty bucks in and I have a little fun. I have turned in one week twenty dollars into sixty two dollars and thirty cents. So I'm just saying I'm on a heater. I'm on a five Excellent. bet win streak. Uh, my biggest win of the week was actually win- Brad Keselowski. I picked him to win the NASCAR race, and he did Saturday night. So let's go. Yeah, I, I saw you I'm mention that. That's I'm awesome. I'm a NASCAR guy, but that's why you got to follow <laughs> me on see, Twitter now- for other stuff. I like the points. I like Pittsburgh showing the points, and I like it because I know there's only one thing I n- know I'm getting in this game 100%. I know that I'm going to get a great defensive effort from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are a very good defensive team. The unit, the defensive unit for the Giants, I have no idea. The offensive unit, I like pieces. I like the stud, Saquon, but I don't know what I'm getting. And I don't know what I'm going to see from Big Ben coming back from injury. So I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I'll swallow the points. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, same here. Um, Moving on to the late evening game, the Titans laying three at Denver. So this is an interesting one for me because, you know, we both think the Titans are going to do well. We both think Denver – um, you know, was was gonna be you know on that playoff bubble there. Obviously, we made those predictions before, before Von the Von Miller, Miller injury, yeah. which which definitely you know eats into some of that. I'm not feeling nearly as confident in that. Nonetheless, I I expect this to be a fairly close game, and I expect it to be close because I don't expect it to be very high scoring from either team. Uh, both teams really trying to establish the run early and often burning a lot of clock. I could see this being a low scoring affair. Um, Titans laying three. That's a tough one. I'm, I think I will take the Titans, but I'm not super confident in the three. There. If you're going to bet this game, I'd bet Titans on the money line just because I like the Titans to win. I'm I, the points. It's going to yeah. be too tough. I think this could be a one point game. Really, really close. Uh, it's going to be physical. It's going to be, you're right. It's going to be not a lot of uh, flash and flair, but I do think Tannehill makes a throw or two to win this game. And just like he did all last year, lean on the run game. Dan Hill makes a big throw off a of play action at the right moment. Um, I just, don't, again, don't know what I'm getting from the young Broncos offense. That Broncos defense losing their leader, losing a, 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 that, that just kills. 
Um, I like the Titans in this game, so if I was going to bet it, I'd bet Titans money line. I'm not going to bet it because I don't know if I'm be able to stay up late night to wa- to watch the whole thing. I got to <laughs> be honest. Sure. When you work a, a morning one. show, you got to get. I'm at the studio by 5 a.m. I don't know if I'm going to stay up for the whole thing. Uh, so, uh, but I, I I would take Titans money line if 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 I was going to bet it. This is where having Tuesdays off benefits me. <laughs> Unfortunately. I can't do the DraftKings uh, out here in South Carolina. You no, can't do man. any of it. Sports so, betting uh, illegal you know. in Illinois is not great for me, I think, overall. Listen, I, d- I said to myself, start with 20 bucks, see who you, and you hope to never. Then you play with house money. And I hope to never put money back in the account. Just keep growing it. Yeah, Just keep growing exactly. it. Exactly. Growing it. If I had kids, I'd be like, this is their Christmas money. But I don't have kids, so I can <laughs> exactly. bet 20 bucks so here it's, and there. it's your Christmas it's money. It's my Christmas money. <laughs> That's it. There you go. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us on this edition of the Football Lounge. We have certainly enjoyed it the past several weeks and looking forward to continuing it here as we enter week two of the NFL season. You can follow us on Twitter at FB Lounge Pod. You can email the podcast if you like. That's football lounge podcast at gmail.com. Also follow Mark and myself at Dan Vasco at Mark Hespin. We're also on Facebook as well. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, lots of good stuff there. Check us out. Uh, for updates, and we will see you back here next week.